cinema breast episode ever and I gotta say I come into this with a little bit of mixed feelings originally when Jeremy Cook and I discussed doing this episode many months ago it seemed like it would be a fun idea to sort of just embrace the silliness and the spectacle of exploitation cinema but by the time we got around to sitting down to record it it didn't seem appropriate almost it almost felt like we were kicking feminism while it was down. But we decided to continue on and to go ahead and record this episode anyway. Every single episode, your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons will drop a warning saying that there's coarse language and there are spoilers for the six films discussed. But I just want to give an extra warning for this episode. If the idea of hearing men talk about movies which rely heavily on the exploitation of women at least showing their naked bodies as entertainment if that conversation is likely to rub you the wrong way if you feel defensive about it if you feel like maybe this would offend you there is 87 epi- other episodes of rank and review for you to listen to i certainly do not want to offend anybody but i wanted to discuss the topic as honestly and frankly as we could. So, without further ado, welcome to the 88th episode of Rankin Review. So what we're sitting down to record here is is the 88th episode of Rankin Review, and it will be the first episode of the year 2017. Um, but we are recording this at ground zero of Trump being nominated as oh, president. Oh, we have to talk about that. Right? I just want to get this out of the way because I already felt a measure of guilt doing an episode on tits. Okay. Which is what we're doing. It's not tits. It's Today. Exploitation cinemas. Yeah. I've got my regular guests, Jay Adrian Cook and Actually, no. I've gotten rid of that pen name forever now, so you can Jeremy? You can call you me can Jeremy. Call you Jeremy. You can call me Jeremy. Jeremy, it's been so long. I know. Jeremy Cook. We're and Lee Beckman and I are witnessing something beautiful. That was so sweet, guys. Jeremy and Lee and I are here to talk about exploitation cinemas and titties and about how men are fascinated with breasts. Mm. Uh, two days after 
the first female nominated edition for president of the United States was had a clock cleaned by a fucking troll doll. Who says that he likes well, to grab women? Well, since you put it that way, that pussy. makes me sound like we shouldn't do this right well, now. Well, that's the thing. The timing stings a little bit for me. So if I sound a little reticent today, yeah. that's why. I'm not ashamed that I like titty, but I'm kind of ashamed for humanity and men especially, just yeah. generally. Yeah. And we didn't do this on purpose. This is just how shit timed out. So there's that in the backdrop of this and I felt like I needed to acknowledge it <laughs> well let's wait what there is to see what there is to come because when Trump is in control of the most powerful nation on earth what is he going to do to women that's what I would like to know well uh, according to good sources like Donald Trump he'll grab them by the pussy yes anyway right. the less said about this the better anyway mm -hmm. tits Tits. I've always Tits. been a big uh, fan of the female anatomy, specifically breasts. But yes. uh, again, just to keep this as uncomfortable as possible, my wife is a real big proponent of attachment parenting and breastfeeding and uh, positive values for women as far as that. And the fact that breasts are exclusively sexualized by us is a pet peeve of hers. Mm. And she's a nurse and she doesn't like it when I make dirty nurse jokes and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. So once again, I am dedicating an episode to cinema that largely relies for its entertainment value on showing us under the clothes and, you know, showing us the skin. And most of these are horror movies, but I honestly think the thing that got butts in seats was the sex. Well, if you call it that, <laughs> there are two schools of thought on this, um, and perhaps even mentioning one might get me into a little bit of trouble with the feminists. But the first one, which they would approve of, is the idea that uh, sexy breasts are a cultural phenomenon related just to our culture and maybe to some others. They would point to, for instance, the. Uh, some African tribes that leave them uncovered and stuff like that and say, see, to them it's not a very big deal. Right. However, I've heard the other side of the story as well that says that while the female breast being uncovered may not be a big deal in those African tribes, it's still kind of like legs are in our society. Legs can be uncovered for women, but men still ogle them and still talk about them and admire them yeah. and stuff like that. And here's some other, another fact to consider as well. Uh, the female breast is the only primate breast which remains swollen all the time after puberty. With, right. with other primates, they stay flat-chested until it's time to suckle, and then they grow out in order to get milk. Get so the milk, yeah. They're you functional. You yeah. have to ask yourself, what is the function of this swollen breast all the time and most to scientists a mate. would say it's to attract a mate and it works i mean <laughs> i too am a fan of breasts yes. and um, oh don't get me wrong i love breasts <laughs> if, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about that why not let's unleash the floodgates but what i find interesting about these movies is maybe one of them is sexy yeah <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I, I, I think I'll call some of it pretty damn sexy. I'll, I'll talk about it when we get there, but yeah. I think it's the, the horror template. Because most of these movies are ugly or dark or whatever, yeah. it's hard to get sort of your juices yeah. flowing for the sexuality. But mm -hmm. I hear what you're saying there, LP. The, uh, we're basically three men in a room sitting around talking about breasts yes. that we don't have. Yeah. And I've already done a fair bit of mansplaining at yeah. this point, talking about the purpose of them. 
and someone might get offended by that. So let's let's try and make this. Well, if if you're going to open up this door, you, you, I mean, it's called exploitation cinema. It's, you leave your apologies and your political correctness at the door. We know and what it, these movies are. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. but we can still uh, take an enlightened approach to examining them. We can say that this is uh, this is in a way. We're looking above the breast line. We're looking these movies in their proverbial face, right. and we're finding the soul beneath them. It, it, it's it's eyes up cinema now. We're not pretending that these movies don't exist. All of the movies that I review on this show are from my collection. Mm-hmm. You well, own, you own not titties. hard to die. Uh, yeah, well, there's going to be a notable <laughs> exception on this, but we'll talk about hard to die when we get there. Another thing I wanted to talk about in the introduction, in the interest of talking about things that are unsexy like a lot of the sex in these movies is not particularly sexy no I think one of the least sexiest places I've ever been is a strip club I've been in strip clubs and they're not sexy places I've been there for bachelor parties and I've just uh, they do make me uncomfortable yeah and uh, that almost never translates in cinema there is something glamorous about a stripper in cinema and in real life it's just this sad woman shimmying on a stage, you know? Or, you know, weirdly aggressive women coming to the table and stroking your thigh and asking what, what, what you needed and if you wanted to relax. And it's the least comfortable, least sexy environment I can think of being in. I do not dig on it. I, I, I typically don't do the strip club thing. It's not something that I, 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 like, I would regularly do, but I have gone, you know, for... I've gone to bachelor parties. I have seen strippers. I'm not going to pretend that I haven't. But I don't like it. But I don't mind watching movies like the, these from time to time. I, I, my wall isn't full of them, but these were out of my collection, with the exception of Hard to Die. So I like boobs, and I'm kind of built to be ashamed for liking boobs. And you, you is should that be okay? Is that okay that I have this built-in shame for liking titties? I feel the shame too, and that has partly to do with how I'm raised. Uh, as you know, there's a, a big, uh, there's a big stigma against men staring at women's bodies yeah. if you're in the same room with them. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, you're on the screen, and it's you're okay. allowed to do it. In fact, that's why they're there. Yes. Well, they're there for the paycheck. Yeah. But it's <laughs> no, debatable. But it's, but. it's writ large on screen. Here are breasts that you can safely look at and not feel judged for mm-hmm. looking at. You know. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it for me, too, uh, we've talked about this in the Friday the 13th franchise, is how in on the joke or how okay with it I feel the actress is. If the actress looks uncomfortable, that kills it for me. Like, mm-hmm. if... If I have any kind of inkling that the person is just there for the money or doesn't want to be there, it's utterly awful <laughs> to me. Like, it, it's the opposite of sensual at mm-hmm. that point. So tell me, uh, since we're on the topic of Friday the 13th here, yeah. um, in the 80s in particular, and to a certain extent the 90s as well, tits and horror went together very very peanut often. butter and jam so uh, popcorn and M and M's. I just want to you know back up the train a second, <laughs> folks. You are th- you thinking that you should be ashamed of black and titties? I say no. Well, enjoy so enjoy enjoy female breasts. It's hardwired in her brain. What Jeremy so was trying ashamed. to say before you derailed that <laughs> is that it used to be much more common in horror movies than it is. Is that what you're going for? Yes, and um, it's mainly because you know, as you mentioned once, the internet 
has cracked the code on on titty. Yeah, it's now plentiful. Yeah, um, it's it's not a big deal. If you just want to look at exploitation, it's there for you mm-hmm. in every form that you can imagine, and many that you don't want. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, when we were younger, men though, it yeah. was in shorter supply. You had to go to magazines, which you would secret away and hope nobody found. Yeah. Or you'd wait up late at night and watch the half an hour infomercial with girls in bikinis for the phone sex, or maybe watch scrambled porn. Yeah. And, or you would rent a movie saying, hey, let's watch this really bad horror movie, guys. Yeah. And you would hopefully get to see some titty. Yeah. And that's how a lot of these movies made their money. Yeah. And uh, now they're much more straightforward. And going to what Lee was saying, sorry, I just wanted to stay <laughs> off the track there. Sorry. <laughs> no, we just, I, I'm not saying that we should be ashamed. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that I am. I, I, I'm not, I, I want to clarify that. I don't know that I should be ashamed for being attracted to the, you know, female form and specifically breasts, but that's hardwired into men, especially men growing up in our generation. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But uh, I think well, that that should be part of the conversation. There's a time and place to look at, you know, females' breasts. Uh, that's that's the one com- thing about the conversation you have to have. You can't, you know, do it in front of a lot of females. Yeah. So, um, but the fact that, you know, there are better movies about sexuality out there, obviously. But what is it about this genre that makes people crave it so? Well, we will discuss. I'm guessing it's just the fact that the violence and the horror at the time these movies came out was already taboo, so you might as well throw in something more money-making into the mix, right? So we could just go on talking about titties all night long, and we're, go- we're going to, but we need to actually start the podcast. So We need to get into specifics. Specifics. Um, the first movie that we're going to talk about is uh, special for Jeremy and I. We used to have these evenings of horror, and we would rent movies from 49-cent video. And we would intentionally rent like the worst movies we could possibly find. This is Cinema Obscuro. It's a movie called Hard to Die or Sorority House, House Massacre, Massacre 4. Four. Yeah. Uh, it's really difficult to get your hands on, but for the time being, hopefully it's still the case by the time this airs, you can watch it on YouTube mm-hmm. if that is your want. In 1990, it was probably 92 or 93 before we found it, um, uh, we were teenagers watching and giggling over it and finding it hysterically funny. I, 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 like, I, what you would make of it today, well, we'll get into. Yes. So we're going to start with this very personal review of Hard to Die. Uh, so after that, we're going to review Basic Instinct, one of the most infamous sexy thrillers from the 90s. Um, we're going to talk about a remake directed by Paul Schrader of Cat People, starring Natasha Kinski and Malcolm McDowell. We're going to talk about Zombie Strippers, starring Jenna Jameson. We're going to talk about Species, with some homegrown talent in it. And uh, (laughs) last and least, we're going to talk about Piranha Double D. Such is our task this evening. A madman has sealed off a Los Angeles high-rise. Five young women are joining forces and fighting for their lives. Look, it's three against one. The odds are in our favor. Maybe I can increase those odds. He lied, you son of a bitch!
die. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> Many interruptions later. Hard. It, it, it's like the forces don't want us to talk about. <laughs> We're being worked against. Hard to die. Uh... <laughs> In the interest of too much information, we were talking about uh, awkward adolescent phases. I had this poster up in my bedroom. The, this? The poster for this movie. Did I you really? I, I had this poster on my wall long before I'd seen it. Uh, <laughs> wow. It was, uh, the 40 ounce of video was selling, uh, they used to sell their old posters for a dollar. And mm-hmm. it was just a chick in lingerie holding a gun. Just exactly the sort of thing a 14 year old would have on the wall of his room. <laughs> We were talking about the relatively, comparatively innocent age before the internet, mm. where kids would have to, like, draw boobs out of memory and jerk off to that. <laughs> <laughs> the point is... That went to a place I didn't see coming. Place. Well, we're being completely is, frank. I'm trying to be as honest about this as I possibly fucking can. What man with artistic talent has not done this? <laughs> this is what I'd like to know. But, uh, TMI voice. <laughs> I've never drawn boobs and jerked off to them. I'm glad to hear Sorry. That. Oh, well, aren't you glad? I haven't drawn tits and jerked off to them. <laughs> well, little Lord Fauntleroy. Um, Fine. Fine. Are you sure you want to Let's, do this podcast? No. Just admit you did it. Just oh. admit you did it. What I was trying to get to <laughs> before I've been torn apart uh, is that. On the basic sex and violence thing, this poster nails it. it it's really, really, it, like, a, a nice poster. A very sexy woman wearing lingerie, holding a high-powered weapon. It looks like like a caliber of, like, Die Hard or something like this. That's obviously what they're emulating. And it is absolutely <laughs> nothing like the movie that Jeremy and I eventually found and rented from 49 Cent Video. Well, it's one of the movies that, that we were talking about earlier. Uh, just, you know, mid-90s, boobs were still scarce. Yeah. Just coming off the end of the conservative Reagan 80s, and uh, it's a movie with all these taboo things, guns, violence, horror, and tits. What year is this movie again? 1990 it was made. Oh, and it's from okay. the director of Chopping Mall. Oh, oh. <laughs> I've seen Chopping Mall. I haven't. It's got robots in yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> that was a, a recurring joke when we were going to 49 Cent Video. So we're, oh, hey, let's get Chopping Mall. Oh, wait, it's got robots. Lest we lose the thread entirely, let's talk about the plot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. A group of women who work at a company that makes lingerie comes to do some file keeping there one night when the sprinkler system goes off and they're soaking wet so they each individually have to go downstairs shower and change into some lingerie while their clothes dry and then they are subsequently stalked and killed off by a uh, a, a mass killer well yes at first they blame the kills on the misunderstood hulk of a janitor orville yes. orville but then <laughs> But then they realize that one of their own number is possessed of an evil spirit. There's a lot of layers to this onion. Yes. Uh, on a production value, it feels trauma-ish, but I don't think it is trauma-ish as far yeah. as... It's obviously very low budget. They couldn't afford the little things like actors. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it, you have to pay a lot of money for a serious actress to take her clothes off. Yes. Uh, so you choose between one or the other. You get either an actress or someone who's willing to take their clothes off. There's something really awkwardly perfunctory about this script. It's like, now this girl goes down and takes a shower and changes into lingerie. And then the brunette girl goes down and takes a shower and changes into lingerie. And then the next, like, <laughs> it really, really is unabashed about the fact that it's about nothing but it's sex and violence. Yes. The wild card is the genuinely absurd sense of humor that runs through the movie. Uh, I would say most likely it's embodied in Orville himself, who is a, a giant of a man who eats raw meat sandwiches, and when he gets wounded, he uses a stapler to seal it shut. Yeah, he and seems to be indestructible. Yes, he he gets. Uh, I'm liking him already. <laughs> automatic weapons fired into him, and he keeps walking towards them. Like he could have spent this time trying to explain himself and what's going on, but no, he just dead-eyed keeps walking forward. He falls off the top of the building. The very fact. top of the building. Yes, uh, <laughs> and this all but slows him down. Yes, and Orville's just a guy who's you know misunderstood. He wants mm -hmm. to warn the naked ladies that there's someone there trying to kill them. And instead of using his words, he uses walking his words. towards them very slowly. <laughs> it's almost like you could have said, "Oh, bitch!" Yeah. <laughs> like, the movie is absurd, and uh, as much as Jeremy and I may have uh, a, a, a weird affinity for it, I don't necessarily think it's something that you need to like seek out. You can buy yourself a VHS copy of this off of Amazon for ninety dollars. But if you have that much Jesus. free money, please, you know, send it to Rank and Review. Support Mr. Cook's Patreon page. Yeah, like, great idea. You can do better <laughs> things <laughs> with your money. Uh, I think that this is a movie that's personal to Jeremy and I. It, it almost defies, like, it's not good, but I enjoy watching it. <laughs> well, okay, it's... We, we talk about how absurd it is, and but it's very, very creaky, right? Uh, the script isn't there. The, there's some terrible lines in it, like, imagine the worst actress you can think of having to say the line, my God, the horror, yeah. which she has to at this point. And, uh, but then, somehow at the end, it redeems itself with the final title card. <laughs> because we'll skip right to the end here. Somehow they've defeated the big bad by shooting her for some reason. Because this time they, they got her. Yes, they, they, shoot, they fill her full of lead, <laughs> yeah. and she's not affected. But then Orville shoots her one last time, and I guess that ends her. Yeah. So both he and the, and the leading lady are lying on a stretcher together. They reach out their hands together and hold hands, and then a heart is superimposed over top, and it says, The beginning? Question mark? Question mark. So <laughs> it redeems itself. <laughs> A little so trivia about Hard to Die. I guess it was originally going to be part of this uh, Sorority House Massacre series. Mm -hmm. The director also did part two of that series, and he did this movie as well, but he didn't use his actual name. He is credited as Arch Staunton for these movies. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. His actual name, according to IMDb, we're going to out him here, <laughs> is Jim Wynarski. Which is, you know, <laughs> what it is. Well, yes. He's made, like, I don't know, 60 movies, and a lot of them are these sort of cheesy exploitation ones. And I get the feeling, like, if 
I was to corner him and manage to interview him, he might or might not remember shooting Arch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe he's in a scene in this movie, so oh, yes. um, he might very well remember this one. Uh, oddly enough, he plays a porno director who talks about uh, the morality of including uh, lots, lots of breastage in his movies. Mm-hmm. And I guess this is supposed to be uh, breaking of the fourth wall, which makes it... That, it, it didn't seem very funny to me. <laughs> One thing I can say about this movie as a compliment, too, is that it doesn't seem to be ashamed of itself. As much as we may have shame at looking at breasts, this movie has no shame in showing us breasts. There are some other movies, even in this list, where the screenplay seems to be constantly apologizing or, eh, eh, mm-hmm. like asking permission or, or, or sort of, this movie is none of that. It's like, you rented hard to die because you wanted to see some sex and violence. Yep. And if nothing else, and probably not with nothing else, we are going to deliver that. Yes. Indeed. And that's one of the reasons why I can't really dislike this movie, is that that's what it sets out to do. It, it's a very modest goal. It is, is to make a very sloppy, low-budget, sex, violence, guns. It achieves all of those goals. It's not a very good movie, though. <laughs> it's a good, bad movie? Yes, it's a good, bad movie. I don't know what else to say about Hard to Die. Is there anything else you wanted to say? It's kind of short and sweet. Titties. Titties? Titties. <laughs> We got 31 stab wounds. What was it? Ice pick. I'd like to speak to Miss Catherine Tremell, please. Is she a suspect? She's a suspect. I wanted to write a book about the murder of a retired rock and roll star. You know how she does the boyfriend? With an ice pick. She intended the book to be her alibi. I picked him up, and I had sex with him. You didn't feel anything for him, you just had sex with him for your book. In the beginning. Then I got to like what he did for me. You like playing games, don't you? It's nice. You've got no physical evidence. She's lying. What's your new book about? A detective who falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. Stay away from her! You are out of control, Kurt. You won't learn anything I don't want you to know. She knew I'd say she did it, and she knew that nobody would buy it. She is screwing with your head, Nick! For anybody of our generation, uh, you you see that poster for Basic Instinct and you get phantom pains up your right arm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, Speak for yourself. The, I was going with the yes, left. I'm sure <laughs> Lee Beckman, for the record, has never masturbated in his fucking life. Oh, of course. He's a, he's a pure virgin <laughs> angel descended from heaven. We really Lee brought Beckman. him here as a counterpoint. He might not actually have a penis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> point is, uh, this was like the huge erotic thriller of the early 90s. Yeah. It was the thing that finally made Sharon Stone. She was supposed to be big because she was featured in a Woody Allen movie a few years before this and she had a lot of like at-bats where she was going to be the new big thing but it wasn't until she showed the world her vagina that <laughs> Sharon Stone was dubbed a superstar. And like How sad is that? <laughs> what a like I remember the, all the buzz about that scene and this is a scene that only could have been important after the Reagan 80s because yeah. like if this happened, scene happened today it'd be like huh a woman showed her snatch on <laughs> the movies and and like what what's the big deal but that's the big thing about the movie Sharon Stone showed her private parts and uh, the sex was way over the top 
and the that's, uh, that's everybody's memory of it anyway. The irony, of course, is that when it came out on video, the resolution was so awful you couldn't, couldn't really, really see, see what anything. was going on. Down there. <laughs> In fact, I wouldn't I wouldn't even actually call it sex. I'm going to quote somebody else here. I thought this this description was probably a beautiful description of what they call sex in this movie. Uh, basically, uh, it, it, it the sex resembles a violent contact sport with a scoring system known only to the players. I thought that was a pretty beautiful description, and actually the late, great Roger Ebert wrote that, so I'd have to... Well, that's what I was going to with this. Everybody's memory of it is that, like this this huge, super sexy thriller. Yeah. And watching it again, in and I thought it was a super sexy thriller when I saw it in the 90s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly not sexy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, it might be the opposite of sexy. Yeah. And a lot of the real sort of social crimes that were still going on in the movie industry... We're so loud and proud in this movie that it feels dated in a way that few '90s movies do so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and over and by just a tired premise, our main character, played by uh, Michael Douglas, is a cop who's too rough, who's on suspension, and drinks too much. Right? Mm-hmm. I've, like I've said it before in the podcast, if you sit down to write a screenplay and you're writing about a detective who's a hard drinker, who's mad at the world because he lost his wife or his partner. You need to start again. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't do it. So yeah. there is a celebrity murder. As a, a rock star is killed, and yeah. Detective Nick believes that it is this man's lover, the evil Catherine Tremell. But he begins to fall for her as she unlocks the beast within him. Yes. But then he starts suspecting the other women around him as well, and. It doesn't really go well for yeah, him. So, well. Yeah. I think the interesting, or, or the supposedly interesting at the time, is that the murder that is carried out is something that is implicitly described in a novel that, that, that the Sharon Stone character wrote. Yes. Do you know who did that that specific scene that we are since we're now talking about? What do you mean, did it? The special effects. Please. Rob Bottin. Oh, okay. Speaking of the the, the, the great rut, I thought I thought that needed to be mentioned. We have a movie that finally combines the talents of Yandebon, yeah, <laughs> Joe Esther has, and Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven. The Dutch had a, a story they wanted to tell the world. <laughs> and that story <laughs> was Basic was Instinct. I will say this about Basic Instinct: it does look like it, it's a very pretty movie to look at at points, like from the sets and the costumes and. Uh, even the scenery this is riffing off Vertigo or even um, Bullet by Steve McQueen nothing I haven't seen before and not better executed that I would say especially in Verhoeven's career I consider this pretty fucking weak like Verhoeven is an over the top stylist and he's gonna give you the full on teeth and snot he's not ashamed to show you blood he's not ashamed to show you sex and I, I get a you know a guilty kick out of movies like Robocop and Starship Troopers, yeah. but my guilty kick stops here. This is now just officially guilty. <laughs> <laughs> my first complaint is with the character of Catherine Tremell, Sharon really? Stone's character. Really, because I think she fucking owns this. Movie. Well, she's she's a great actress, but the problem is is her character. The first time we see her, it is clear that this woman is a terrible person she hears that her lover's been murdered and she smiles Uh and she's just if I met her in real life I would instantly develop a case of PTSD she is scary okay there's no reason why a man would be like oh you know she's really fascinating because she is clearly a sociopath I don't (laughs) see the mask I don't see how anyone could not think that this woman was a killer 
mm-hmm. and her whole the fact that she's enjoying the fact that she's being investigated that she enjoys manipulating the men and flashing them or her, 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 you know mm-hmm. uh, like that she's always manipulating everyone and enjoying it and reveling in it in front of them like there's no other suspect in this fucking movie <laughs> yep until about it. three quarters of the way through she anyway. clearly did it and like there's no question or suspense about that at any point for me in this movie well yep. what she is is the classic you know, dark dame from the film noir movies you know that she's Lin- she's Linda Fortin- not Linda Fortino she was in The Last Seduction that specific kind of character that's what she essentially is she's the dame that you can't trust but typically in that case there's a reveal right she comes in asking for help but when it turns out she was just setting you up for a fall there's this aha moment she's there evil is the whole no way aha moment. from square one she's a fucking monster okay but uh, for films like sort of like maybe not bound but the last seduction weathering uh, weathering heights you know, you know red rock west that type kind of character sure but again Usually we just don't know about this girl. We suspect her because dames are trouble in these types of movies. But they play it like, is she or isn't she bad? She almost always is, but they almost always play, is she or isn't she? Mm-hmm. In this movie, Catherine Tremell is just bad. Yes. Uh, another thing about this time where it came out mm-hmm. is like movies like Silence of the Lambs were getting picketed because of their portrayal of homosexuals mm-hmm. as sociopaths and yeah. serial killers. This movie is way more guilty of that than Silence of the Lambs was. Well, Ka- part of the reason that Catherine Demel is evil is because she sleeps with women. Suspicion is further fallen on the Jean Triplehorn character when we find out she slept with Catherine Tremell in yeah. college. Mm-hmm. Ooh, she might be crazy because she sleeps with women, right? Uh, <laughs> well, the heterosexuals aren't showing a whole lot better. Well, There's no, almost nothing. I'm not even Dudley, the girlfriend, her girlfriend, who is fucking obsessive and crazy yeah. and ends up trying trying to kill Michael Douglas in a jealous rage. Yeah. Homosexuality is a facet of mental illness in this movie. And that is a product of the time. And of course you could make the argument that everyone in the movie kind of sucks. Yeah, oh absolutely. And he's right. Men don't come up very well at all either. Except of course no one resembles sort of like normal human behavior or semblance of of human behavior. The characters are completely unbelievable in a lot of ways. Nick's uh, wonderful partner of course is is a good guy and so of course we know he's He's fucking doomed. doomed. Yeah. Yeah. Another issue I have with this movie is how overwrought it is. Everybody's just so intense. Michael Douglas is intense. The psychologist that talks about psychopaths is so intense. And the Jerry Goldsmith old-fashioned score is so intense. It actually makes me laugh. Yeah, that's that's where I feel the Hitchcock in this is the Mm -hmm. score. The the level of operatic scale that Mm -hmm. everything is given. It's like we're. This is like the greatest fucking most important piece of cinematic art that we've ever seen, and it's the trashiest, sleaziest piece of cinema out there. I mean, this was considered the good one of these like erotic thrillers, and like things like Sliver and and, and Jade were made fun of subsequently, but. This is not better necessarily by any kind of significant margin mm-hmm. than the movies that followed it. It's high glossy trash. It is, 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 is really really what it is, uh, but with you know hints and shades to um, well once again some old Hitchcock style movies along with you know the action films of the seventies in a lot of ways. It benefited from being first. Mm-hmm. I liked parts of it, and I'll tell you about those parts as well. 
I do, as I said, Sharon Stone is a great actress. Yes. Uh, and I, she's very good with Michael Duck, Douglas in this. Yes. I can actually feel some chemistry there. Yeah. Um, I particularly like the scene where she actually starts seducing him yeah. and unlocking that beast within him by actually, frankly, talking with him about the tourists that he killed. Yeah. And, he, you know, the official story is that he he feels guilty about it but then she says but you kind of liked it didn't you it made you feel powerful so i like that you got away with murder mm -hmm. that's part of why she's attracted to him too yeah and that's her jam yeah. what i really liked actually is also the the okay well obviously the the tit scene but part of the tit scene the first sex scene they have is when she actually brings out the silken scarf and starts tying him down to the bed and Michael Douglas plays this so well because, you know, his character knows this is exactly how the first murder happened, yeah. both in the book and to this other celebrity. He's got this look on his face that's like, there's about an 80% chance that I'm going to die tonight. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm what so turned on, I'm going to take that chance. <laughs> that shit, if you die just as you're having orgasm, is like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that. Um... But other than that, yeah, it's a very trashy show. There's a scene, a uh, sex scene between Gene Triplehorn and Michael Douglas that mm. makes me so fucking uncomfortable. It's, like, very rapey. Mm -hmm. You get the feeling like she's not enjoying what is happening. I mean, Gene, the actress is doing her job. She's playing the scene as it is intended to be played. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it's really, it's so ugly as to, again, just not be sexy at all. Well, it is a rape. She repeatedly tells him not to do it, yeah. right? And I, it, at the same time, I guess she kind of gets into it as a character. It makes me it so is, uncomfortable. It is a rape. It's so uncomfortable, and again, if it just glides by, it's another scene in this movie. Okay, and then we're and I think it was honestly just supposed to be another hot scene. And I don't think so, so actually. No? I think well, I think it's the I, scene I, that's where he's working I out some so. of his. I hope not. I mean, part of part it, of it, the. It, uh, I'm the the sex scene that this sort of reminds me of is also the same one with the Monsters Ball, where its characters trying to work things out during you know, carnal knowledge pleasure. Because I um, thought he wanted to fuck Catherine, but he couldn't, but he yeah. knew he could fuck her. Well, this yeah. is what one of the themes that the movie plays with is men unlocking the, the beast within themselves. Yeah. It's actually what we're talking about here tonight, that shame we feel yeah. of looking at a woman's, looking at women's body parts. Catherine from Mount Shenstone knows that we have this shame in us, and we'll mm -hmm. use that. But she will show us her boobs because she knows that she has power because of them, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and she, she is a highly sexual and highly powerful person because of her sexuality. I get that, but I don't necessarily think she's a fucking role model. <laughs> you know? I like, don't yeah. think she ever was meant to be in the Well, movie, I, I get a feeling, I'm not role models way overstating it, but like a, a, a chick... Hannibal Lecter, right? Mm. She's super clever and she manipulates people and she gets away with it and we're supposed to not necessarily cheer for her, but oh, isn't she devious? Isn't she clever? Mm -hmm. And I never got there with her. Like, uh... Really? <sighs> See, I, I think she's the best thing about this movie. I don't like... This movie is heavily flawed, but I think she fucking knocks it out of the park just because of what the, what the character is. This is sort of a supercharged film noir style, you know, thriller. She, I, I, I honestly think that she, like she, her performance goes way beyond the material that she's given. It's, it's one of the best villains of the 90s and in a fucking terrible movie.
let's not forget as well that the plot is highly improbable. Like, yeah. I'm not one of these people that, that, that's fake, you that guys. says it's really, oh, that's stupid and fake. But really, if you're watching a movie that's trying to be gritty, the fact that Nick just happens to be involved with these two women who slept with each other back in the psychology course they took during the 80s, and they're kind of playing traps on each other, maybe... Yeah. Is very Triple's whole role in this movie is highly suspect. It serves the plot way more than it serves common sense. Yes, this is also the the, the time we're still in this time where the the the, play, the screenwriter is you know paid millions of dollars at this point. Shane Black is very much a millionaire, and Joe Esther Haas got three million for the script. At one point, it was like the most for a, uh, a script sad. ever, mm-hmm. and one this more. is it. Jesus. She's got the Kunmun Lao of, of pussy is like one of the you know million dollar lines or whatever apparently in this movie. It's, it's just trashy, 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 mm-hmm. trashy, trashy. One thing I just wanted to touch on because we're getting kind of long in this review. But yeah. What is it about Michael Douglas do you think that people seem to so love watching this dude squirm? So many <sighs> movies he's done where he's just getting fucking raked over the coals, typically by a woman, and you know, Fatal Attraction, and Disclosure, The Game, the, this one, uh, he's always this guy who's just being fucked with and squirming and suffering, and he plays that role again and again, in the way that like Mel Gibson is the righteous revenge guy, Michael Douglas is the worm on the hook guy. He gets slapped a lot by women in his career. You get, you get, uh, you get typecast in roles like Sean Bean isn't necessarily better at dying than other people in movies yet he that's does it a lot. what he yeah. does Fair enough. Um, before we move on one right. last thing this is something this is very funny Hollywood here there's a line in this movie about uh, just Hollywood take note of this it is in fact possible to fuck a 240 pound woman and not have bruises all over your body <laughs> it's kind of Oh, it's kind of charming that people in Hollywood wouldn't know this. Yeah, but it's possible. <laughs> I speak from direct experience. <laughs> I'm not like you. See these eyes so green. I can Paul Schrader, Yo. he wrote this movie called Taxi Driver, Yo. and that sort of secured him a career in Hollywood, and uh, it seems like no matter how problematic a movie he makes, he still gets to make another movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it, Paul Schrader is interesting because he's one of these guys, I see his name, I'm like, ooh, Paul Schrader, maybe it'll be good, and then as often as not, I'm disappointed, but for some reason, I'm still interested to watch the next Paul Schrader movie, <laughs> it's like, I've got this fucking masochistic relationship going on with him well he's written a lot of screenplays man I mean he's done some interesting work Raging Bull Mm -hmm. uh, Mosquito Coast Last Temptation of Christ Light Sleeper Uh, in one since in one year he did both Touch and Affliction he did Bring Out the Dead yeah Um, so like he has done great things but as a director too Lee's our talking IMDB (laughs) (laughs) I'm interested in Schrader, but I usually find, specifically as a director, there's usually problems for me. Yeah. 
I find Cat People one of his more accessible films. <laughs> that said, it's very 80s, and it's sort of possessed... It's, it's made in the early 80s, but it's still possessed of that late 70s horror movie vibe. Yes. Where it's going to really take its time. It's going to just sort of seep into the into you with its atmosphere and its vibe. And, and I enjoyed you, that, actually, about this particular movie. If you catch the wave of that vibe, it'll suck you in and it'll carry you along in this sort of interesting, sexy story. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't, you're going to be bored to fucking tears. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's, it, it, it's, it's a movie that I recommend, but I don't necessarily think it's a movie that any, just everybody would like. Yes. <laughs> so it's a tricky number for me. Uh, what do you think of Cat People, Paul Schrader's remake of a 1942 well, horror movie? Let's do the plot here. Um, Irina? Or is it Irene? I can't remember. Uh, Irina? Um, anyway, she moves to New Irina. Orleans to reconnect with her, her, her brother, Paul. Long lost estranged brother. Yes. yes. And while she's there, she gets a job at a zoo around the time that Paul mysteriously disappears and a black panther shows up, shows up at the zoo after having mauled somebody. Um, this and well, she falls in love with the head zookeeper, uh, trying to make sense of her new life in New Orleans. And it's around that time that uh, the cat mauls one of the zookeepers, killing him. And then Paul reappears, telling her that she and he are of an ancient race of incestuous werecats that turn into uh, panthers when they mate with somebody. And only killing somebody can turn them back. And the only people that it's safe to mate with are people in their own family. And as far as they know, the only people are each other. Yes. Which is too bad for her because she's just fallen in love with Oliver. Yeah. So... So it, it is pretty out there. It's pretty strange. It's a different movie. We haven't seen this story told many, many times before. Have you seen the original Cat People? Because I, I have. I have not. Yeah. I, I, will, I have not. It makes me curious about it because I, I think the, the plot, or the idea of it anyway, is Sorry. relatively similar, which is pretty out there stuff for an old movie. Yeah. The fact that they play this story pretty straight, like they go for it. Yeah. As a sort of a, a you know kinky sexual thriller, um, especially Kinski, she plays it pretty straight, and I think that that, that takes a feat to do that. Yeah, the set design is also gorgeous to look at. Beautiful locations in, in New Orleans, Love particularly New Orleans. the zoo. Yeah, um, uh, Fernando Scarafotti and Albert Whitlock uh, combined to make the sets and the special effects. That red haze, that sand in the first five minutes. Like that's just a gorgeous painting to look at. Mm-hmm. It was only about halfway through this movie that I started realizing too that hey, this is a really, really well written movie because the dialogue at this up until this point I, I just acknowledged as being realistic, but then they start saying really profound things like she thinks his fear is courage, he thinks his fear is love. Yeah. Uh, another one of my favorite one is uh, Malcolm McDowell delivering. Uh, the line, that's the lie that will kill your lover. At least let me spare you that horror. You know, it really takes an Englishman to yeah. deliver some lines, doesn't it? To just add gravity to that. Ruby D has a line that she delivers to Natasha Kinski late in the day when she finds out, spoilers, after her brother has died. And she's like, well, then there's no, there's no love for you. Mm-hmm. You'll have to pretend that the world is what men think it is. Yes. 
And Ruby D, great performance. Uh, <laughs> Natasha Kinsky, great performance. You. John Hurd, great performance. You. Malcolm McDowell, is Malcolm McDowell Malcolm as usual. McDowell Malcolm, is an <laughs> Malcolm McDowell basically walks around, uh, pardon the expression, like a bitch in heat. Even the first scene when he sees his sister, it's almost like he's completely stalking her. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I like sort of the weird animalistic affectations that yeah. he does, yeah. but he is playing it way bigger than everybody else in the yes. movie. <laughs> it draws attention to itself and not always in a good way. Yeah. But I think that what's troubling me, gentlemen, is the person that you guys haven't mentioned in the cast. Because as far as I'm concerned, Natasha, Natasha Kinski, meh. Annette O'Toole is so fucking hot in this movie. Annette O'Toole made me burn with passion <laughs> in a way that no other pair of titties <laughs> in any of these movies did. And she is gorgeous. She played uh, Beverly Marsh in the TV version of It, so I've yeah. always associated mm. her with that. Seeing her here so young and so sexy and playing such a badass. She kills a panther with a fucking shotgun in this movie. And like, man, I was having a hard time keeping my hands above the equator. Yeah. Oh, I, when I saw her, when I saw her, I was like, oh, this, this movie's called, it's this, this is a show, this, this whole podcast, it's about titties, right? I'm going to get to see them, right? Is it? Oh, and so every time I saw her, I was on edge. And then there is a wonderful payoff. See Not the, to spoil, but oh, see the German in me chooses Kinski all the way. I just, I just get that sort of rare okay. voice. I like having different voices. Somebody has to be wrong. Uh, okay. the, problem is, <laughs> the problem is just genuinely like there's a love triangle. She's in love with John Hurd, yeah. and Natasha Kinski is in love with John Hurd. And in my head, there is no fucking contest there. Mm-hmm. There's the absolutely gorgeous woman who loves you and shares your interests. And there's this cold, distant weirdo. <laughs> who is also a werecat who <laughs> might kill you. Yeah, who very well might <laughs> yeah. And uh, him being a dumbass dude always goes for the, for the crazier of the two chicks, right? Yeah. <laughs> I just love that, the line of his in the movie where he asks, Are you scared? When it's clear that he's the one who's scared as yeah. he delivers this yeah. line. It's so good. <laughs> so good. It's... They, it's, it's weird because Paul Schrader had a whole decade of writing sort of like weird, almost painful, sexy drama thrillers. We've got American Gigolo, we've got Hardcore, which is like really dark, guilty, you know, sexuality. And Cat People is just another one in this series of, you know, where his Catholicism just sort of like, or Catholic guilt, if you want to call it really sort of, you know, rings through a lot of these movies where the sex is sort of, like, ugly, but at the same time, or beautifully. Well, I think the sex, for the most part, works for me in this movie. Uh, the, the, there's an ugly <sighs> scene between Malcolm McDowell and a prostitute yeah. <laughs> that I was, like, icked out by, but I think we're supposed to be icked out by it. But yes. there's, a, def- there's, a, there's a guilt uh, to the sex in a lot of his movies. Like, hardcore's got some... In a lot of his movies, I agree, yeah. but I didn't feel it as much in this one. I know mm, there's a really? danger associated with her sexuality, but I didn't feel the shame. Well, the sex is basically murder. So there's a lot of sort of like sex is bad with this movie. I'm with Lee comic. on this one, yeah. actually. It's the sex is murder and also um, yeah. the idea that uh, it, it's scary. Yeah. Um, it's dangerous. But the implicit sort of tie between sex and violence in her character, there's a scene where she walks outside of the place where she's staying, yeah. and uh, when she goes outside, she strips off all of her clothes, yeah. and she hunts down on her hands and knees a yeah. rabbit, yeah. and kills it. Yeah. But 
there was obviously something sexual about it as well. It wasn't just an act. But of eventually, you're made to feel sort of guilty and wrong about it, and that's well, and that's just a, a common. The thread. crux of her character is that if she sleeps with anyone other than her brother, she yeah. will turn into an animal and kill them. Yeah, <clears throat> I think the metaphor is that that happens to a lot of people. They're just not were cats. <laughs> yeah. But once they have sex with somebody, all of a sudden, you know, they become super possessive, or you know something turns in them that changes the relationship and not necessarily in a good way. Brilliant. Another, another, uh, that's another wonderful, sophisticated angle to the screenplay. Mm -hmm. But I think we'd be doing a disservice to the show by not talking about some of the great special effects in this mm -hmm. movie, too. Mm -hmm. I love uh, Paul leaping onto the bed frame with perfect balance. I'm sure that was done by reverse motion or something like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. um, I like the realistic evaporating panther corpse they managed to get, and then most of the all... The whole uh, autopsy of yes. the cat was not nasty. Yeah. But also so shocking is the scene where she actually turns, transforms into the werecat for the yeah. first time, and the, the cat face just pushes through her own, and you and see that. because they've been so reserved with the special effects in the movie, it has a real impact. You're like, what... <laughs> it's shocking. Yeah. So shocking. Speaking of shocking, uh, our favorite friendly environmentalist, Ed Begley Jr. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he Poor seems like Ed. a hot-headed kind of, you know, full of himself dude, but it turns out he's pretty armless. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Ed. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm here all night. Yeah, uh, yeah he, uh, he's, he works at the zoo with them, and, you know, he, he's got a few lines. He's one of the boys. And, uh, yeah, he's trying to get uh, this panther under control and uh, grabs hold of his arm and rends it free of his body. Yeah. And uh, not typical, as you, a lot of times in movies, you know, wounds like that are, yeah, it'll be fine, throw some dirt on it, we'll take you to the hospital, you'll be okay. Yeah. No, that's a traumatic injury. You will bleed out very quickly. He yeah. is fucking dead. And it is horrifying. It is. It is. And uh, it's a strong sequence. This is like, I didn't have a clear memory of the movie, but I remember seeing at a young age that scene mm -hmm. and being very disturbed by it, but I didn't associate it with cat people. Yeah. When I rewatched it and saw Ed Bentley Jr., I was like, oh, dude, this <laughs> is not going to work out for you, buddy. <laughs> so this movie haunted my thoughts for days after I watched it. Um, mm -hmm. And part of that is because of the final scene where um, Irina has... Her, her brother is dead. She can no longer have love. And she's unfortunately still in love with Oliver. So she want, she's basically trapped by, for, by her fate. And she says to him, then free me. And then he proceeds to tie her to the bed and have sex with her. As and an then, act of compassion. As an act of compassion. And then she spends the rest of her life in captivity is a panther in his zoo. In his zoo, and he visits her every day. This kind she's putting of... putting the fire with gasoline. This kind of irony yeah. is so brilliant. So brilliant. It's art. It is art. It's one of the saddest endings to a movie that I can think of, and this is a weird pull, since being John Malkovich, mm -hmm. where jo the John Cusack character is sort of stuck in this place where he gets to see the people that he loves, but not be with them yes. forever. Yep. Good times. Good times. Sexy. Yeah. <laughs> Titties. <laughs> Titties. <laughs> Titties. <laughs>
What do we have to do to take one of these zombies down, Doc? That. Either got it or you don't, baby. But, but what about the girls, huh? They're good girls. They're zombies. No. They're strippers. They're zombie strippers. So we're going to talk about zombie strippers, which is not to be confused with zombies versus strippers, which came out very close to this one, apparently. Or Big no. Tits Zombie. <laughs> this is Zombie Strippers, starring uh, Playboy model Jenna Jameson and uh, Robert Englund, who I recently took a hot lit shit on in uh, my Stephen King episode for The Mangler. Did you ever, actually? <laughs> uh, you, you actually spotted some vitriol hate that I hadn't heard in a long time. <laughs> well, uh, I just didn't think he was very good in that movie. What, what can I tell you? Um, here he is as the guy who's in charge of this strip club that uh, unsurprisingly ends up being taken over by zombies. But it's, uh, it's not your typical zombie fair. The zombies remain sentient, at least for a little while. And the strippers become better strippers when they become zombies. It's a futuristic dystopia <laughs> in which George W. Bush has taken his fourth term and America's embroiled, embroiled in countless worldwide wars. And he's made this program to reanimate dead marines so they can go to Keep war on again. Fight. But one of the people in this facility gets bitten and is unleashed upon the strip club. Yeah, the only place that's open and adjacent to the others. I wanted to talk about the beginning of the movie because before we get to the actual strip club where the bulk of the action takes place, mm -hmm. we are introduced to this squad of zombie killings or hard-ass marines. And it's one of the most hilariously incompetent executions <laughs> of marine badassery. The script is about 60% there as far as the dude who loves knives and the, the second in command who's a short chick but is tough as nails. But it is not executed convincingly at all. <laughs> at all. And it's all sort of brought in on the wing of this really unsubtle political and social commentary that writer-director Jay Lee is inserting in here as I think a sort of not-so-subtle apology for the fact that he's making a movie called Zombie Strippers. You think it was an apology? Well, I think he was just trying to sneak it in. He was talking about in other movies where, you know, they can't just be a zombie stripper movie. They gotta put another coat of paint on it so that they can sleep at night. Mm -hmm. I think the coat of paint that was put on this was an attempt at satire. But it, it just sort of balloons up and goes away, balloons up and goes away. It's not in the movie in any real consistent fashion. Mm -hmm. And when it is, it's not subtle at all. <laughs> but zombie strippers is not about subtle. I will concede that point. <laughs> so, uh, one of the survivors of this marine team or whatever it was this crack force goes to the strip club and he bites Kat who's one of the strippers played by Jenna Jameson famous porn star and for some reason she becomes a more popular stripper after this and then some of the other girls in the, cr in the club start wanting to be in on the zombie action and the owners like this because they're making more money uh, and hilarity ensues in quotation marks. Hilarity. <laughs> Hilarity. Yes. 
Well, and here's my problem with the premise. I think our mutual friend Kevin Stiller said it well when we were talking. I don't remember what we were talking about, but how sex doesn't really belong in zombie world particularly well. You've mentioned this many times. How yeah. unsexy zombies are. They are, and as the as the movie progresses, the strippers look more like zombies, which was probably better for the girls with that all that extra makeup on them. They probably felt less naked than they were, but the more they start looking like these fucking Marilyn Manson. Del- you know, awful ragdoll things, the less sexy they are. And, uh, it, you know, the idea that men would come to this club night after night wanting to see the zombie strippers, even though more, more and more of them seem to be disappearing every night. Uh, it, like, I understand okay. it's a stupid premise, but the premise doesn't hold for me. Let I, me uh, I don't think a zombie strip club would be popular. But Let maybe me throw something here at you, though, which I think <clears throat> might actually be another level of satire that you might have missed. Oh, was this over my head? <laughs> I think so. Okay. Um, basically, I think that this idea is a satire of the Suicide Girls fad, which was just getting popular around the time this movie came out. Suicide Girls, of course, being goth chicks um, getting naked or having sex, sex on the internet, etc. And so it's just taking the idea of Suicide Girls to an uh, uh, reductio ad absurdum (laughs) extreme. So I think that might be what this is about. It's not... That's one of the issues of the movie, is it's not particularly well executed. Some of the comedy is just too crass for me to enjoy, you know... Uh, for instance, the whole it, it, there were there were a lot of Bush dystopia based things coming out in the in the aughts, and it's discredited there. Uh, shooting ping pong balls from one's vagina oh is God. never in good taste. But at the same time, I kind of liked the one stripper who thought too much and basically philosophized herself to death. <laughs> <laughs> shouting at her, breaking the, her mirror, and then shouting at it. This is your fault, you existential bitch! <laughs> <laughs> and I liked uh, the interaction of the club owners as well. I thought that they were pretty funny together when they were scheming. Um, but, it, again, it, it's just... It, it's, it was trying to be kind of like Hard to Die. It was a sloppy, light-hearted comedy with horror and zombies and it just wasn't executed that is it because it had the satirical element unlike hard to die it didn't achieve its goals yeah uh (laughs) maybe they were attempting too much for a movie called zombie strippers and i guess in a way that could be a compliment but uh they were trying to be funny and i didn't think they were that funny they were trying to be sexy and i didn't think they were that sexy I think the closest stuff that starts to work for me is just some of the actual zombie kills. There's a couple of, like, over-the-top head peels. This one guy gets his jaw rendered off of his face. And for a low-budget production, it looked pretty good. That's true. There were good good effects in it. There's a scene where one of the zombie strippers gets obliterated almost to a skeleton by a machine gun, which is just a a surprising moment coming out (laughs) late date in in there. But a lot of stuff that I think was meant to be funny or ironic... I really hated the, the, the Marine Squad. Like, I thought everybody in that <laughs> was just... They had cheesy lines, but they they weren't up for the task. I think all the girls in the strip club and, the, like, the, that 
part of the movie, the middle part of the movie, actually was better executed by the performers and the filmmaking than, than the bookends. Mm-hmm. It seems like as soon as the the military guys show up, the quality just drops another few notches. Yeah. Well, I will say that it's a, a better movie than I would expect a movie called Zombie Strippers to be. To be like it's it's better than the title would suggest, but it's still not very good. It isn't is what it is movies. It's a snake on a plane, right? It, it's sold on the basis of the premise. So if you're excited of the idea of zombie strippers, much the way I was excited of the idea of zombie beavers, then they've got you. They chum the waters and off you go, <laughs> right? Indeed. But uh, do not get excited about zombie strippers because I, I just don't think it's worth it. And again, there's several prolonged sequences of women dancing, wearing no clothes, and it's boring. And that doesn't, the math there doesn't work for me. Like, I don't understand. This should be entertaining, right? It's funny that two movies on this list gave you titty fatigue. Yeah. I didn't actually get titty fatigue for any of these. Not like I did with with Showgirls, for instance. (laughs) I can finally admit to the world that I've seen Showgirls. Yeah, I I had a dream that I saw it. You saw it with me, you son of a bitch. Quiet, you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know how much more to say. It's been a very brief review of zombie strippers, but um, it's been an honest one. Um, I'm done. If you want to watch zombie strippers, I guess I'm not going to say, don't watch zombie strippers, (laughs) but uh, there it is. I paid $2 for it. Maybe it was worth two bucks. Well, it, it's worth. Two, I would say this review is probably worth two dollars yeah. entertainment. Uh, just just having done it, maybe maybe it's worth money to people who want to send you free money too. <laughs> maybe send send Larry Parsons yeah. two dollars yeah. so that he can t- continue to make his wonderful podcast. I want to give some points to the to the ladies in this movie too. Uh, I said in the past that I've felt like when I see a woman and they seem uncomfortable or not in on the joke or not okay with the joke, that it kills it for me. All of the girls, especially like on the stage and off the stage, their behind the scenes banter, their competition, their, their little bitchy back and forth worked well enough. Mm-hmm. And they were good enough on the stage. I mean, it's weird that becoming a zombie makes you a crazy athletic super stripper. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. Their own little chapter in zombie lore. But I'm going to give those women credit. It, it, it's a very ballsy thing to do. They spent a lot of time on set surrounded by, you know, dudes stark fucking naked for this stupid movie. And they're not bad in it. They're probably actually the best actors in the movie, except Absolutely. for maybe Robert England. Who Absolutely. Is, yeah. So, shout out to my ladies. I'm sorry that your boobies were covered in latex, because it, it's attractive. <laughs> She escaped. We have a serious emergency on our hands. I want a team to track her. Hunt her down. You created a monster. Now you want us to kill it. We decided to make it female so that it would be more docile and controllable. More docile and controllable, huh? I guess you guys don't get out much. She wants to have a baby. She'll kill anyone that gets in her way. I wouldn't hurt you. Yes, you would. I just don't know it yet. She can have a dozen babies. She can lay a thousand eggs. Something's wrong. Oh! Get out of here! Open the damn door! Hey! 
So let's talk about some Alberta bread breasts. Yeah. <laughs> Natasha Hemstrich made her her uh, big screen debut in in species. I think she'd done some television, some smaller stuff in Canada before this, but. Uh, and it was another movie, kind of like Basic Instinct, that was that the publicity campaign was basically like, "Hey guys, there's this movie. There's a naked chick in it." Yeah, uh, it, it is the Titty Alien movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, she spends an inordinate amount of this movie with her boobs out. Um, it tries to justify itself in the context of the screenplay. She's an alien who's desperately seeking uh, to reproduce, so she's. You know, outwardly super attractive and very sexual, very aggressively on the hunt for male companionship. In the meantime, she's being hunted by a team of scientists and badasses. And one of the one of the many mysteries about species is <laughs> how this many talented people came to be involved in what is clearly a B to C grade type of level movie, like. And how their interactions didn't produce anything that was interesting to watch <laughs> on screen as well. We got Forrest Whitaker. We got Ben Kingsley. We got Mark Helgenberg. Yeah, he's too We got Michael work. Madsen. We got Alfred Molina. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Williams even plays young Sill in this mm -hmm. movie. Like, mm -hmm. it's a star-studded, terrible movie. <laughs> it's, it, it's very strange. Like the slasher movie <laughs> with an alien, really. On some, on some respects, like I'd said before, I kind of have a limited degree of respect for its honesty. Like, it's certainly not pretending to be anything but what it is. Mm -hmm. But I have no idea why it was that the powers that be decided to put this much energy, this much money, and this much talent into this particular screenplay. H.R. Geiger does of, the alien designs. Yeah. That's bizarre. It's baffling. Like, yeah. that of all, I'm sure there's a million scripts out there about aliens coming to Earth. Why this was the one that they had to like? Yeah, we're gonna put all of our money behind species. I it's an actually I kind of like the idea of it, as a, as a screenplay concept. Maybe not the execution of the screenplay, but it, I think it pitches well, and maybe that's part of the reason. The idea that there's uh, an alien female hybrid put put on Earth to basically cleanse the Earth of its inhabitants. Yeah. And the idea that this uh, woman or girl, as she starts out, doesn't know what she is when she's starting out and is learning about herself and learning about her world as she goes along. That was actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. You know, even the opening scene, this young girl inside a containment, glass containment unit of some kind, yeah. and then the man who has raised her from birth very regretfully says goodbye to her and proceeds to try to kill her with cyanide gas. She realizes she's being put down. Yeah, and that you can see that hurt and betrayal in, the, in, the, in her eyes, and then she escapes, of course. And this is, this is a really strong start to the movie, I think. If they had focused a little bit more on Syl's journey, I think this could have been a, a pretty good screenplay. And as far as the directors and producers it was concerned, despite the amazing talent that they assembled, the star of their movie is Natasha Hendricks' breasts. Yes. Like, that really is. They, they tried to keep as minimal amount of scenes in between breasts as possible. <laughs> uh, is this a directorial choice then? Did they like, was he like, huh, you know? These tits could be. There's there's something to these. Tits. I see star quality. 
in, yes. these, in these breasts. Like, this is really something I... And it's too bad, too, because I, I think that Natasha Henstridge could have used uh, an acting session, mm-hmm. coaching session, of one or two more before filming started. Right? I don't think she's awful, and she's definitely early in her career in this movie, but she's not there to act. Mm-hmm. And again, that's where it gets uncomfortable to me. Uh, I... I feel like she agreed to do the part and that she knew that nudity was part of it, but I don't feel like she, you know, was okay with it or necessarily in on the joke. I feel like she was holding her nose while she was doing this. You think so? Okay. Well, I got that vibe. I guess she is a Canadian. Maybe we can find ourselves asking her sometime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we were going back to the star-studdedness of this show. Yeah. It seems like our elite team should have worked better together more cohesively as a, uh, like it didn't seem like they liked each other well Mark Helmingberger and uh, Michael Madsen seemed to get along well <laughs> yes and I liked the sex scene between them as well the <laughs> yes. awkward sex scene that was pretty funny but Michael Madsen in particular seemed very uncharismatic in this particular role this is the, he didn't want to be there that's the thing about Michael Madsen like I think that Quentin Tarantino decided that Michael Madsen was cool and culturally, everybody just said, okay, you're the boss, Tarantino. I don't think Michael Madsen sucks, but that vibe that he has, that people think is so cool, reads almost 50% of the time as bored. <laughs> okay, I can <laughs> see that. He's got this yeah. sort of lazy Elvis quality, like, I get, I get it, mm-hmm. but sometimes he just looks like he's fucking half asleep. It's not that he's too cool and above it all, it's that he's fighting literally <laughs> to stay awake. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> son. Is that mean to Michael Madsen? Maybe. I, don't know, I think it, I think it's accurate. Because <laughs> that's honestly what I thought watching this movie, and maybe, and well, obviously, Mister, was he black? In no, he wasn't Mister Black. Mister, what Mister was he in well, Reservoir uh, Dogs? Blonde, wasn't blonde, he? Mr. blonde. Yeah, yeah. He was Mr. Blonde. It works really well with Mister Blonde. For sure, for sure. But in this role, as a heroic lead. Yeah. He's not present. Yep. He's too cool to be a heroic lead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I feel kind of bad for two of the supporting players. I think they're doing the best they can with the hands that they're dealt. And, like, I, I'll give them A for effort. Uh, Forrest Whitaker and most particularly Alfred Molina. Mm-hmm. Alfred Molina is, like, they give him a really unfortunate wardrobe and seem to accentuate his... British teeth, you know, and he comes up as this awkward, pathetic dude who just tries so hard and fails because of how hard he tries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm kind of on side with what they were going for while still finding him irritating. Yeah. Similarly, I get what they're going for with Force Whitaker as being this sensitive, psychic person who can, you know, knows what everybody's feeling better than they know what they're feeling. But he also ends up coming off as a sort of dreamy, half-asleep vibe, right? <laughs> he looks kind of doped through the movie. And I think it was just a character choice, you know? Mm-hmm. He just sort of lives in this zen place, but... Maybe everyone involved in the filming of this movie was on drugs. That could explain it, right? That actually might... You might have just cracked the code. <laughs> I, think, I think Actress Gotta Eat is basically why you see, you know, Ben Kingsley, uh, Forrest Whitaker... Michael Madsen in this movie all these actors at this point have slummed it somewhere so it's not exactly Uh, usually there's somebody in the film like even the worst film even you know I don't know Dreamcatcher somebody on board 
really believed that they were making an amazing fucking movie that was really passionate about it. It was their dream project. And this is one of those movies where I don't think anybody involved thought this was an amazing movie. It was just the next project, you know? There's some weird jump scares in this movie, too. There's, like, a squirrel attack. <laughs> That's right. There's, Thank you. There's hobos scaring them. And then my favorite one is they're down in the sewers chasing seal, and they yeah. find a dead body uh, down there. And then suddenly Michael Madsen appears and said, she, she went this way, really loud. Yeah. Like, okay, thanks for the info. I think, <laughs> think we might have guessed from the corpse here that it's very astute. Thank you for telling us so suddenly. Yes. <laughs> and again, it's just like, okay, we've gone, we've gone at least almost 10 minutes without boobs, so give them a scare, give them something, because they will start to leave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it holds your attention. It's it like, does. If we're the little baby laying in the crib, they manage to shake the keys for the entire 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. But that's all they're doing, is shaking the keys, right? Oh. <laughs> Michael Madsen's final line in this movie? Let go, you motherfucker. <laughs> oh, that's, once again, very astute. Very astute because she is a mother at this point, and she's also a fucker. And yeah. it's very clever for him to combine that into a one-liner. Very... Yeah, uh, but I think Michael Madsen would have to listen to the podcast to get it. So, <laughs> um, okay, since the episode is exploitation yeah. or titties, yeah. I think we would be remiss to not talk about the nipple tentacles. Right, right, right. I forgot about those. It's a good, interesting H.R. Geiger design. Uh, there's a some weird ones in this. Like she has a dream that she's being chased by by a Geiger train yeah. it just yeah. kind of looks awkward like it's a model but there's some some effects that look pretty good well Geiger has always been known for his art being highly sexual mm -hmm. but I don't know I think this is actually a pretty weak design by Geiger standard this is a naked woman who has like it looks like almost uh, metal scales on her body but she mm -hmm. just looks like a slightly lizardy naked woman to me like uh, it didn't seem richly designed particularly. It was sexual, which mm -hmm. is what we were, you know, we associate with Geiger, what we expect from Geiger, but it wasn't, you know, it certainly wasn't anything like the alien design. I can see maybe someone being excited about the idea of like, hey, we're going to take a, a, a Geiger design and we're going to actually bring it to life mm -hmm. using computer animation for the first time. And, of and course, we're going to let it be sexual. We're going to let it have nipple tentacles. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, the computer animation doesn't hold up very nicely anymore, which is too bad. No. But uh, so, uh, for me, this movie was a real disappointment because I could see so much potential in it, but um, it just—it seems soulless. It's empty. It holds your attention, and I have seen a lot worse movies than this. Like, in in the scale of these movies that we're talking about, titty movies, like I will give it do credit for an is-what-it-is movie, but I cannot get excited about Species. Me either. And, you know, <laughs> well, it's, it's, this is one of the more ones where the sex scenes are actually sexy a little bit in the movie. I appreciate that. But I did get titty fatigue. It was like, it was like, oh, 
there they are again. <laughs> you know? And as, you know, red-blooded male. <laughs> that seems like a miss to me. It's, it's a rip-off of so many movies, and it's unabashed, and it's and what it's ripping off, that you just, you, it's, you struggle to engage with it in a lot of ways. It just should be, a, like, a, a low-budget direct-to-video movie, and mm-hmm. for some reason it's this multi-million dollar affair. And I guess that alone makes it maybe edge toward interesting, but not quite enough toward good. In the world's wildest water park, the party has never been hotter. Tell me you did not replace our old lifeguards with strippers. Water certified strippers. And the guests have never been hungrier. Mommy, I got bit. It was a piranha. It was not a piranha. We think they're back. These piranha spent eons in underground lakes and rivers. So fish can become confused and try to enter man-made drainage systems. <laughs> is that you? Ow! I didn't. Whatever it is, I don't like it. Ladies and gentlemen, the most famous lifeguard of all time. Let's all get wet! So a few years ago, a French director named Alexandre Aja did a remake of a movie called Piranha, which was highly exploitive and over-the-top and grisly. And I wish we were here to talk about that, because I have a guilty response, sort of pleasure response to that movie. I I, I like it, I don't feel good about liking it, but I kind of like it. Jerry O'Connell's quite good in it. (laughs) That's right. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Piranha 3 D. It's direct-to-video sequel, which followed not too long afterwards. Uh, it stars Danielle Pennebaker, Katrina Bowden, and uh, a stand-up comedian named David Keckner. Don't forget Matt Bush. I, 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 Who I, are these I people? I would have forgotten Matt Bush. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, I actually don't mind Danielle Pennebaker. She shows up in a lot of genre horror movies. She was in the remake of Friday the 13th. She was in the remake of The Crazies. I think that she's a decent actress. Uh, I don't know what she's doing caught up in this movie. Also, Katrina Bowden, who I know from uh, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil and the mm-hmm. sitcom 30 Rock, she's absolutely beautiful. Um, and these two beautiful actresses who are the leads of this movie full of absolutely gratuitous nudity are two actresses that don't take their clothes off. And I'm not saying you have to take your clothes off, but I'm saying it's kind of interesting that the two hottest hotties in this movie <laughs> full of boobs keep their clothes on it well honestly the the tits in this are kind of are weird in general arbitrary well they are it's like they're isolated from the rest of the movie like you yeah, got your main that's cast sort of going with this yeah. the cast does not get naked or anything like no. that and then you've got random stripper girls uh going down water slides and, and that's where naked. i was going with this like the actresses that we spend the time <clears throat> focusing on plot and action and you don't, they don't have to take their clothes off. I reiterate this. Don't. But in between scenes, they cut to Spring Break Fever, which becomes a collage of edits of titties and nakedness down water slides. And then it's like random titty. We don't know this titty. There's no context to this titty. It's like blurry titty montage and mm-hmm. then scene. 
and then blurry titty montage, and then C, <laughs> right? Like it does. That's how it feels to quite me. tiresome, doesn't it? So here, here's our plot, because <laughs> we should yeah. not forget the important plot. So, uh, Maddie returns home uh, from, I guess she was in college or some shit. Yeah. Um, discover her uncle Chet has created uh, an adult-themed section of the water part park of which they're both part owners. Um, but she also discovers that the prehistoric piranha that were in the uh, previous movie also have a direct pipeline to her lake and can swim up into the water park. Yes. And they're probably going to eat some people. <laughs> and she has to stop them or warn them, and nobody seems to be listening to her. I'm glad Christopher Lloyd got a paycheck. It was, it was good to see him for that very short amount of time. Yeah. Weird celebrity cameos in this. Ving Rhames returns, despite clearly being killed in the first movie. Interesting, Paul Shear returns, despite disappearing from the first movie entirely. He's on board the boat with the rest of the survivors in the, in the first Piranha movie, and disappears from the film. Apparently they had a whole sequence where he swam from the boat and the Piranha got them, but they never got around to shooting them. Oh. So, at some point, Paul Shear is just gone from the movie. He just disappears. But they brought him back for the seat. And why not? And Gary Busey and Yes, Poo I was going to talk about <laughs> living cliches. Gary Busey and David Hasselhoff <laughs> uh, appear in this movie. Who does Gary Busey... There's two people that start in this movie in that swamp. Gary Busey and... Lou Gallagher and Gary Busey. Jeremy right. Just said it. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, yeah, they find a dead, bloated cow in the middle of a fucking lake, and they decide they need to deal with it in the middle of the night. And it poops uh, uh, piranha eggs. Yes. This is the level of movie that we're talking about here. The Hoff's presence in this movie is particularly troubling. <laughs> yes. He's... I know they, they, they play him like it's sort of a winking, washed-up celebrity, and he's it's tried to play for laughs like that, but even aside from that, he's cringeworthy every time he's on screen. He's a human punchline, and the joke of it is that he's a human punchline. And he's kind of weird and yellowish, ruddy looking. He kind of looks like Hellboy now. He looks sickly. But he's still <laughs> playing it as if like he can sleep with two hot women at a time and uh, is this like super smooth dude. I understand that he's making fun of himself, like that he's, he's pretending to be in on the joke, mm -hmm. but I feel like we're laughing at him, not with him. Yes. <laughs> well, none of the comedy in this movie works. That's one thing that... Uh, uh, Alstradoff saying is that no joke hits its punchline. It's even the drum rolls would be giving this movie a compliment. It's 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 not funny at all, which is strange because this is from John Gallagher, what the guy who did what uh, feed, right? Or John Gula. I, I, I mean, <laughs> his dad was in <coughs> Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. Gallagher. Yeah. yeah, which I, explains his presence in this movie. Yeah, like none of the jokes, even like the one scene that sort of dramatic. That almost demanded at least a little ha ha was the sort of sex scene that uh, obviously I'm wrong about where you know the young man has basically come out of his penis no uh, the piranha crawls inside uh, Katrina boat oh, and vagina then bites him, when they're yeah. swimming and then later when they're having sex the piranha bites his penis yes. and then he cuts his penis off again this is the type of movie that we're talking about <laughs> at least it was horrifying yeah uh, having to absurd and horrifying off. 
But again, I felt bad for Katrina Bowden. Like, what an unsexy role. What a horrible role for her. And I don't think that she's a bad actress. I think, like, she's both beautiful and talented. She just so deserves better than to be the chick with the piranha in her cooch. <laughs> you know? It's so crass. It's just awful. And predictable, too. Like, as soon as... I, I, we, knew, we knew pretty much as soon as they got out of the water that at some point they're going to have sex and a piranha's going to bite his dick. Yeah. How, just, hard, uh, how hard is it to make sort of like a sex comedy there? There are so many good sex comedies out there from like the Blake Edwards to even something about Mary. Like he, he, at least I, I was ex- expecting at least one sort of good laugh and there was nothing. It was just... It's interesting because I do, like I said, have a guilty pleasure response with the first Piranha remake. Mm. And it's guilty in a lot of ways of a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here. But for some reason, it seems to get away with it. The tone seems right. Well, here we in go. In a way that it doesn't here. Step one, have some characters that we give a shit about. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um, the everybody that we meet at the start, except for Maddie, is either uncharismatic or completely disgusting. Yeah. And we spend... Apparently, Maddie has friends, but we spend so little time with them that the only introductory scenes we have with them are them getting killed and we just don't care and even Maddie herself while she's not offensive there's nothing about her that suggests that we should like her which is something that well she's horrified that her water family owned water park has been turned into this really scummy strip place Uh, so like we're sympathetic I guess to a limited degree and she is trying to save people from being eaten by piranhas but but even it's important still to have uh it's not just enough to kind of agree with the character, particularly your main character. You need to have your character be good at something. Yeah. Just one thing that they're better than everybody else in your story at. And we don't really even see that from Maddie. Yeah. It's a strange... It's, a, uh, <laughs> it's one of those movies that has kind of embarrassed this up on the shelf. You know, like it's a disaster, um, and it's, it's honest on, on what it wants to be. Though I mean, you have to give it that. Look, this is not a good movie, even as the sort of like straight to DVD or now you know straight to order streaming movie. Um, it's but why is this a terrible movie and the first one a fun movie? Because it set out its goal. Part of its goal was to be fun and funny, but it wasn't funny. Right. End of story. Honestly, it's it's an infuriating movie. Um, I've seen it two times now. I've also had two kidney stones, and <laughs> once was enough for each. Yeah. Like, well, I think that, you know, uh, to answer sort of that question, like Aja's Piranha, in some sort of way. I mean, there's still sleaze to it. Absolutely. But it's yeah, and in fact, there's a lot of sort of dirty sleaze in that movie. But it's also satirizing and really sticking it to you know the girls gone wild, you know. DVD craze that was alive and well for a short little while. Um, you know, like we, we want Chris O'Donnell to die very badly. There's no mis- you know, there's no shock or surprise that you know yeah. he dies. Seeing David Koechner get beheaded does not yeah. have the same impact. I want to say a little few words on David Koechner to the evil slimy uncle who runs mm. the water park. Yes, I think that he is actually a funny person. Oh, I yes. think that he is a really good actor, and generally speaking, give I him like the right him. part. He. Source, and uh, 
if I was just to have seen him in this movie and nothing else, I mean, I don't think I would have called myself a David Koechner fan. Yeah. He is trying really hard, but he has nothing to work with. And this is a capable, funny dude, and he's just nothing. Yep. I'm done talking about this movie. I'm done <laughs> thinking about it, and I'm glad that I gave it back to you. It's your responsibility <laughs> it's now, now. It's now my thing to deal with. There was something else that I wanted to say about Piranha Double D, and uh, it's fallen from my brain. Uh, and Good. Hopefully, the rest of the movie will follow with it. Yeah. This wasn't a totally sleazy episode. We did squeeze in some thoughtful conversation in this titty discussion. I think it was very enlightened. <laughs> I think that uh, anyone, any reasonable person listening to us would think that we're intelligent gentlemen of refinement. <laughs> well, uh, oh, we we're point. kidding. We're all sleazy individuals. But I want to say something out loud okay. here, too, since, uh, you know, I may well be sleeping on the couch for the rest of my life now, anyway. We've yeah. been masturbating this whole time? Furiously. Furiously. Yeah. None of us is wearing pants. The, uh, <laughs> just talking about an edit tool just put me over the line. The, <laughs> here's here's some, some hard truth that I want to drop down. Okay. Believe it or not, yeah. there are women who like sex as much as men do. Yeah. And that women can get into their own corners and they can talk as sleazy and gross about men as we do about women. Yeah. But for some reason, for men, it seems to be, like, recognized as our identifying characteristic. And I don't think either of you gentlemen run on an engine of titty. Okay, I don't think Jeremy runs on an engine of titty. <laughs> but... <laughs> The point Ooh. is, do you think Ooh. it's fair that we have, that men get, you know, this reputation of being obsessed with sex? I, I know that, like, uh, women that I've dated, my, 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 my wife, you know, will totally watch a movie because there's a cute boy in it. And maybe she's not looking at his titties, but she wouldn't watch the movie unless this cute boy is there. Like, that's the um. thing that makes her watch the movie. Is that better or worse than me being attracted to, you know, Jenna Jameson's Men uh, have the reputation, societal reputation, of not being able to control our sexual impulses. Right. We're the ones that that rape, statistically, yes. highly more often than women rape. We're also physically stronger, so that gives us an advantage in rape. So, uh, did Shreve really want to have advantage in rape? Did I just say that out loud? Did <laughs> it's on the record? Oh Jesus. Wow. I thought that we were going to get out of this no, episode. I was, I was digging. Uh, I was trying to dig our way out of the hole, but it just fucked us up. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I think that it's it's equally unfair to women to imply that they don't have interest in sex as it is to imply that we only have interest in sex. Well, here's another thing to say too. that out loud once. Let's <laughs> let's go from from another uh, uh, anthropological anatomical standpoint. Men, uh, well, sex is. Uh, driven by testosterone, men have more of it than women. So we're hardwired to look for what we're attracted so to. So generally, I guess, yeah, I guess it's fair. It's I think fair. We, <laughs> I, I think we need to sort of accept the fact that we objectify both men and women. It may be in sort of different genres or different texts or different ways, but we at some point have this primal, primal urge to objectify the other's sexuality. 
and and that that is an ugly thing to admit. If I agree with that, I'm not sure that I 100% do, but let's say, yeah, it's true, we're hardwired to look at boobies. If that is a fact, if I concede that's a fact, should we feel guilty about it? No. We're hardwired. <laughs> like, that's part of our makeup, that we seek out in our mate, you know, that we're attracted to I, the I, spe- I, specific physical attributes. A smarter person than myself once said, you know, you can almost get away with anything, it's just how you, you know, communicate it or say it. Yeah. Or present it, at least. Um, you know, if you communicate, you know, sleazily, if you will, looking at, at breasts, it's going to be very uncomfortable. But there's a time and a place and a way to say it. Yeah. And you shouldn't. And you shouldn't be ashamed of, you know, looking at our bodies for good sake, whether it's men or women. You yeah. Know, it's it's really just it, it's chest and, and and sexuality should be celebrated in a lot of ways, whether it's film or paintings or whatnot. And it's a mound of tissue. It's not yeah. even the nipple. Men have nipples. Yeah. Okay. It's, just, it, it, it's, it's crazy yeah. that we're so obsessed with it. The problem, the, the, just, the problem is when we see only that yeah. and don't see a human. Yeah. That is yeah. true. So yeah. and I'd like to think that that's not, not true of any of the men sitting in this square. Well, it's not true of Jeremy or I. Yeah. How? That's the second time, man. <laughs> well, did, did I did I offend you somewhere? I'm like, trying to be funny. Oh. <laughs> I hurt your feelings. Lee Beckman is a decent human being, despite what you're hearing here. And his penis is way it's bigger amazing. than ours too. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, yeah. man. I appreciate. It. Okay. Anyways, continue. <laughs> Sorry. Like, shall we rank? It tastes like chocolate eclair. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. So enough said. Uh, men are pigs, uh, and we can't help but be uh, completely rendered into monkeys when there's naked boobs in the room. Agreed. So now that we've got that out of the out of the way, let's rank these six titty movies and then obsess over who had the best and worst titty. Okay. So... <laughs> oh, God, we're terrible. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I think the lesson here is, is that uh, tits cannot drive in and of themselves a movie. Boobs themselves don't make a movie. You I mean, prove us wrong. <laughs> try to prove us wrong, but... <laughs> we'll we'll, 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 we'll watch, of course. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, yeah, but, but generally I think that this, this theory of mine holds firm. So, uh, much like a, a firm, good firm breast <laughs> that you can just grab a hold of. <laughs> we need to really rank these. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's go on. Okay. This is one of the more distracted episodes <laughs> I think I have ever been a part of. But okay. You would say it's elongated. Oh, <laughs> and the puns. They just, the puns, the puns, they are a calling. So, at number six is Piranha 3 Double D. Yeah. Because it makes me furious when I think about it. <laughs> Next is Zombie Strippers. Uh, be- just because I wish it was better. Number four is Hard to Die, because it sets out what it wishes to accomplish, but those goals are not particularly lofty. Lofty, no. Um, number three is Basic Instinct, uh, because the 90s-ness and silliness of it just mar it. it and it's, it's kind of trashy. Then number two is Species. It has a potential for a great movie, but the execution is off. Right. And then lastly, of course, is, is n- number one is Cat People. I love me the Cat People. <laughs> we managed to sneak a good movie into that list. Yes, and you, you made no mention of that. David Bowie. I thought, <laughs> if, if anything, if you're going to talk about Cat People, you have to talk about the late great David Bowie, because yes. he's putting that fire with gasoline. That's well, right. It's a very 80s soundtrack. Yeah. Excuse me. It's a very 80s soundtrack. Yeah, I remember seeing the title credit, like music by David Bowie, but honestly, music is one of the weaker things in that movie for me. 
personally. No, it, I'll it, do respect to the late great David Bowie. Oh no, it's it's a very bizarre and sort of off kilter song in a lot of ways. It's yeah. so eccentric. I'm surprised that someone like Quentin, Quentin Tarantino would want to bring it back. But hey, all right, shut up. No, I want to find out if I won. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, it's. It's, it's close, but not quite a cigarette. Oh, wow, I know. I've been I've been here too, and it's <laughs> maddening. I'm not doing this show anymore. He's quit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, he secretly doesn't want some people to win the, the no, list. It's not some people. It's just you, Lee. I would be totally happy with Jeremy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> I like that you take me seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my best friend of 20 years really must hate my guts. <laughs> Would you, okay, let's hear your bullshit list. Come on. I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, so are you implying that I take everything seriously? No, it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but me. Okay. So, I'm going to fucking rank these whether you, start, whether you continue talking or not. Seriously, I talk I'm going to fucking rank these whether you continue talking or not. Seriously. All right. In sixth place, Piranha... Three double D. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, the bright sunlight of the Lord shines upon thee. <laughs> Stay on your path. Do not watch this movie. Look neither to the left nor the <laughs> right. right. You went biblical. <laughs> I'm gonna put uh, our guilty pleasure uh, from the past, hard to die, in in fifth place. Because though I do enjoy it, because of the nostalgic sort of weight that I attach to it, I couldn't honestly tell you that it was a good movie. I think the whole Orville subplot is something that Jeremy and I got hours of laughter out of, and we will reference it like for our entire lives, but it's an in-joke for Jeremy and I, and I honestly wouldn't feel comfortable recommending it to anybody else, so... That's where I ended up with that. To be fair, I wouldn't recommend anything but cat people on this list. Just yeah. so you know. Yes. That's, yeah. that's pretty true, too. Yeah. Uh, in fourth place, I put Basic Instinct. And uh, that's a movie that once upon a time... I don't know if Light's the right word. I watched it a lot in the 90s for some reason. I'd seen that movie several times. And uh, uh, Certain know. scenes I've, I've seen a few <laughs> yeah, times. Again, Phantom <laughs> Pains in my right arm. Yeah. <laughs> I think it speaks to the weakness of quality in the list that a movie as ridiculous and empty as Zombie Strippers <laughs> managed to dance its way into third place. But I see what they were going for, and I like what they were trying to achieve. I just don't think they closed the deal on it. And uh, I, I mean, props. Oh, I, I think about these women who are basically stark naked, get full body prosthesis on them, and then spend their day swinging around a pole with all these male extras hooting and hollering at them. <laughs> like, oh my dear God, the living the dream of a Hollywood actress, you guys. Uh, it's not great, but it scratches its way to third place. Species is a competently made bad movie. Like, the actors are okay, the special effects are good, the movie moves at a good enough clip. It's just an empty vessel in a lot of ways. There are many movies better, there are many movies worse. It's just like something that will go through you like a happy meal and you will forget. And uh, it seems to want to be more than that, but it, it, it isn't. And yet in spite of this, 
It's in second place. And then we have the good movie that we talked about, <laughs> which was Paul Schrader's Cat People. Uh, and even this one, it's a reserved recommendation. I really liked it, but I don't necessarily think it's a movie for everyone. But I think the people who like this type of thing will like this movie a lot. And uh, it's one of the only movies on this list of, you know, titty movies that you can watch and maybe not feel a little bit ashamed of yourself afterwards. So, ranking comfortably in first place, Paul Schrader's Cat People. Okay, here's why you're wrong. Okay. okay. What, what would you rather watch again? Mm-hmm. Would you rather watch Hard to Die or Basic Instinct? Hard to Die is shorter, I suppose. So why isn't it higher on the list? Uh, competency behind the camera. Okay. Bad shadows, bad acting, bad, 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 bad. There's and some <laughs> things that are quite solid in Basic Instinct. Like, like the look of the movie is very sheen and polished. Um, there was I, lo- I love the Jerry. I love the Jerry Goldsmith score. Yeah, there, the Jerry Goldsmith score is shit. I, I think it's over the top, personally, <laughs> the score, but. I think that everything's over time with that movie. That movie starts at ten and yeah. goes higher. And if you're with it, then yeah. that works for it. But for me, yeah. yeah, I think it's a little bit much. Was I contrary and hard to die? There was definitely a day where they had a camera on a tripod and an open shower, and the girls just took a turn, fucking <laughs> sitting under the shower they and sponging the themselves set. down. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just feels icky to me. Mm. And let's not forget, too, that they added sound effects of balloons being rubbed <laughs> when they were washing their breasts. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I yeah. feel... They're all, like... I think it's a, it might be Sarah Silverman who made the joke, like, if you guys ever showered with a guy, if you ever shower with a guy, when you come out, your breasts are spotless. <laughs> right? That's, like, the women seem to really be focusing on making sure that their tits were spectacularly clean. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> you don't want dirty boobs, I guess. <laughs> Shall we move on to some Jerry's? we might uh, since we've got three people here we might try another Jerry approach by the way once again I have to say I'm very disappointed at the lack of Jerry's I've been hearing on your show it's, 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 it's been a while you're you're disgracing my memory <laughs> I'm sorry buddy uh, so here we go so here's what we're going to do we got uh, ca- our categories here I'm going to list three nominations and then by show of hands we will determine the winner of the Jerry agreed so, the first is best death. Is it the hobo squishing in Species? And it happens right near the start. Right. Uh, in which uh, Sill completely bones a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Snaps a homeless person in half, basically. Yes. Um, is it Ed, Ed Bigley Jr. gets his arm ripped off? That would be a tough one to beat. Or is it death by philosophy in zombie strippers? So, squished hobo. No votes. Ed Begley. Ding, 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 ding. Unanimous. Yes. <laughs> Best performance. 
Okay. Was, was it Sharon Stone as Catherine Trammell in uh, Basic, Instinct. Basic Instinct? Was it Ben Kingsley as Xavier Fitch in uh, Species, which I thought he actually gave a pretty affecting performance? Or was it Ruby Dee as Famali in Cat People? Well, see, I'm going to vote for Sharon Stone. Catherine? Vote, hand, votes? Uh, for Catherine? Uh, That's one. Okay, uh, Ben Kingsley. Can, can I explain my vote when, when it's time, though? Oh, of course. It'll be wrong, but go ahead. <laughs> and then finally, uh, Ruby D. I think I would give it to Ruby D. Yeah, Ruby D is a Jerry Award winner now. So what's your what's your choice? She went big or go home kind of performance by... Uh, it was Sharon. gutsy, for sure. For <laughs> Sharon Stone. And like honestly, the character is, is memorable. Um, you can remember Catherine Trammell way more than Ruby D's character from Cat People. It's what made the movie, really. It, it was a star-making performance. Um, and to me, like, it was a stock film noir character that she played well into the hilt. And she elevated some terrible frickin' dialogue written by Joe Esterhaas. <laughs> so from that alone, I think she... Like, don't get me wrong, I like the Ruby D performance. But here's somebody who elevated above terribly trashy material and gave I mean very over the top we're talking Hans Groomer Allard and Rickman style villainous performance but it was of its time and place yeah. and it started for me I think that it is a good performance but she is such a villain that it kills any mystery to the yeah. movie yeah and, and we'll have this uh, conversation about uh, arguments when we do our own next podcast yeah. Uh, but I think like Ruby D. I mean, it's it's one of those roles. It's a familiar thing that we've seen before. This sort of character, but she does well in sort of uh, selling the premise of the movie in a believable way. Because when you say it out loud, it's a pretty loopy premise. Mm -hmm. So good on her for selling yeah. it. And she takes it very seriously, and it and, yeah. and well, uh, it's a far more serious movie with with you know far more credence, serious talent behind it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but anyways. Good. Yeah. Okay, so this is, I'm sure we know where this one is going to go. This is worst performance. <laughs> is it Monique Gal Gabrielle is the chow down girl who is a horribly cringeworthy uh, experience from hard to die <laughs> oh, with someone basically playing yellow face. Yes. Um, Michael, oh, so sorry. <laughs> Michael Madsen uh, playing Preston Lennox in Species. Or, He's just being Michael Madsen. Okay. <laughs> I think you're being me. <laughs> or was it the Hoff as himself? And I'm going to just go straight to number three here. Votes for the Hoff. Let me give it to Hoff. There we yeah, go. Give it to Hoff. <laughs> it's a special kind of suck when you suck at playing yourself. Ugh. Yep, well said. Okay. Uh, biggest what the fuck? Uh... Irina transforms into a panther in uh, Cat That's a good one. Yeah. Was it the end card for um, uh, uh, the beginning? Question mark? <laughs> in Hard to Die? <laughs> yeah. Or was it the uh, racist end of the Mexican janitor in um, uh, Zombie Strippers? Zombie Strippers, right. It took, took the racism of... of against Mexisms to an absurdly new level. But in a knowing way, I guess. Yes. It wasn't, it wasn't one of those basic instincts we don't know how insensitive we're being right he, now. He basically, uh, he'd, he'd been kind of a stereotype before, but then if, when, when he's about to die, they open up the closet 
and he's turned into this Pancho Villa stereotype with a donkey for yeah. some reason. He didn't say Riva Riva Andale Andale, but it was yeah. pretty much there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Should have sang Mamacita. I am so sleepy. Yes. So the lefty wormy um, man. The cat people transformation votes. Two of them. Huh? Looks like they got it. Yeah. All right. What, what was your vote, LP? Um, I was gonna say what was. The uh, the the ending of Hard to Die, where the the heart comes in, where they're mm-hmm. holding hands. Yeah, there's something so absolutely absurd. Like, why does yeah. she love him now? <laughs> yeah, and like his whole role in the movie was hilarious. Like, that's that was my long-standing memory, even more than all of the titty in that movie, was that little heart-shaped stamp at the end. You know what? And you You've and convinced I me. Howling with laughter for years. You so, have so. convinced me. I'm changing my vote. Oh. <laughs> I'm changing it at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> like yes, the transformation was beautiful and shocking, yeah. and but it didn't redeem the movie. <laughs> the movie was already good. I'm, th- I'm thinking this vote is rigged. Rigged, I tell you. <laughs> well, like I said, uh, hard to die is very sentimental for Jeremy. And I. All right. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm suing you both. No, there you go. this has to be here. No, it's the best tits. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it, maybe it would be less crass if we said best breast. <laughs> No. The word has been overused quite a lot. Not in these movies. In these okay. movies, we're talking about tits. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so the so, obvious one, I think Sharon Stone would be insulted if we didn't include her pair okay. From, okay. from Basic Instinct. Then Annette O'Toole it made yeah, my okay. teeth chatter. <laughs> and then I think also Jenna Jameson uh, would be insulted if her pair weren't included, considering that they made her career as a porn actress. Oh, okay. At the risk of sounding like the male that I am. Uh, Annette O'Toole's breasts were the bright shining light of all of these six movies. <laughs> Two votes for Annette O'Toole then. They, are, <laughs> By they default, have become I'm the gonna... fulcrum on which my life pivots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, where, where is your vote going, Lee? Well, I think just by <laughs> default, I'm going to have to choose Annette O'Toole. How do you follow that? <laughs> all right. It's like. Dropped them <laughs> Okay. Hey, you don't have to have the same feelings as me. I, I, I'm not. I'm not a bossy dude. But that was. Uh, I, I'm. I, I, again, the shame still creeps in. But I, I so lit up when I saw an Tool's name show up in the cat people's credits, and I was like, "Holy shit, Tool, This is awesome." <laughs> I'm a child. Mm. I, so that's the end of the Jerry's. Uh, I just felt like I witnessed a confession in a lot of ways. Mm. Well, it's important that as men, we express our vulnerable side. Uh, and to do that on air is very courageous. So thank you very much, gentlemen, for we appearing on this We were episode. unfiltered in our dudeness tonight. Mm-hmm. And we should not feel ashamed of it. Um, these movies were made to show up breasts, and we were made to watch them. I will say one last thing because you know I'm I'm, I'm a father now, I'm a father of a young girl, and it's weird how perception and time can can change your opinion on, on some of these movies. Because I did, you know, see a lot of these movies when I was young, when I was younger, and I, I think I enjoyed them more then. But now, being the age that I am and where I am, like there's this weird sort of, um, I, as we talked about it earlier, this uh, you know, our disturbance of, of objectifying women in a lot of ways and uh, I think just now that in the world we live in now currently with what's going on it's 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 weird to have this conversation in some sort of ways mm. but 
the biggest surprise for me, I think, was Basic Instinct, because yeah. I think when the list was built, I thought, Basic Instinct is going to rank pretty high, and I don't know how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it again, and it's something that was at least associated in my memory as a thing that was sexy, mm-hmm. was the opposite of that to me, watching it. Mm-hmm. It was kind of icky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, let us celebrate female form. Let us free the breast. You know what? <laughs> we won't be ashamed of breasts, and uh, just because we appreciate breasts doesn't mean that we don't appreciate other things about you. You're not identified by your breasts, lady. And uh, thinking that, and thinking that we think that, is reductive to both of us. Yes. Mm. Yes, I think that, that that's what's. Yes. Good enough? Uh, Jeremy Cook. Yes. Is there anything that you would like to say to the kids on the internet before we part company this night? Yeah, well, obviously, uh, I've removed my pen name, um, so I'm now back to just being uh, Jeremy A. Cook for both my writerly and musical pursuits. I'd split them up for some reason, but I didn't need that mask anymore. So um, I have a website now, uh, so I suggest you go visit that, www jeremyacook.ca it's got the CA at the end so you know it's Canadian okay. yeah. it shouldn't be CA it should be EH but whatever yes you're right <laughs> and uh, I also have a Patreon account so look me up on Patreon uh, uh, and help me pursue my bardly exploits as I try to tell tales and sing songs of Saskatchewan uh, thanks for having me on the show LP also by the residuals new album oh yeah we released an album forgot about that back in uh, back in March we have a new album Whiskey War and Whatnot. it's available on Bandcamp yeah and uh, if you're having trouble tracking it down which I imagine you are if you don't live in Saskatchewan if you write me at rankingreview.ca I will find a way to put an album in there yeah Mr. Beckman is there anything you'd like to say to the kids on the internet titties 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 so strange, isn't it, that you can watch on television nowadays the most appalling levels of violence. You can see people get their heads caved in with baseball bats. You can see people skinned and drawn and quartered. You can see their guts ripped out. But if you see a nipple on TV, the world will come to a grinding halt. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's how it is, you guys. Thank you so much for bearing with me in this interesting, perhaps awkward, perhaps sexist episode of Rank and Review. But if you'd like to give me feedback and let me know what you think, I would welcome that. Please write me at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Seek out the show on Facebook, seek it out on iTunes, and please spread the word on the podcast. There are other film lovers out there who would love the show, if only they knew it existed. So hopefully next week we'll get back to a more typical episode, and thank you so much for listening to Rank and Review. Lots of love from your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons, and we'll talk to you soon.